Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio. Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I hire a consultant? And, um, you know, I, th- I think this is one of the, this is one of the more challenging questions that, that, many of us as business decision makers face and whether it's your first time hiring a consultant or whether it's something that you do in the routine course of business, it is, uh, it is difficult. And as we're going to talk about today, it's even more difficult maybe, or difficult in a different way at a minimum than hiring an employee because the power dynamic is different. The communication different dynamic is different. The, um, the degree to which you and the, the method by which you influence the outcome of the uh, of of that decision to retain a consultant is different, and you know, as most of us know, our, our our economy is becoming increasingly consultantized. Right, we're being more confronted with this notion of a gig economy. Many of us, many of you listening to this may be, may be consultants now where you had been employees earlier this year or even five years ago. And so I, I, think, I think there's a lot of use to this conversation because we can get into the mind of somebody who has been on the hiring side of consultants, has not been afraid, been afraid to use them and work with them, and understand kind of the mind of somebody who's had successful and maybe will find out unsuccessful experiences retaining consultants. And, and I hope that's going to give you a framework for deciding whether or not that that's something that you want to do, or if you are doing it, if you want to continue to do it. Because, you know, one of the things we're going to cover today is whether or not, you know, you're using a consultant for the right job. We, we can sometimes, it can sometimes, I think, be so alluring, this notion that you, you use consultants and we're told now you need to outsource everything because that's how you scale and you know, on paper, that's all well and good. But you know, there's a difference between between paper and doing this in real life. So, joining us today to help us kind of talk through this is a, a very good friend of mine, Meredith Moore, who is founder and CEO of Artisan Financial Strategies. Clients and colleagues alike appreciate Meredith's unflagging commitment to empowering others through knowledge, skills, and insights that help them meet financial and personal goals. Her boundless drive and curiosity are always evident whether she's creating a comprehensive financial plan, working to understand and advance women's issues, or serving as a mentor for other professionals. Meredith holds a Bachelor of Industrial and Systems Engineering from Georgia Tech. By the way, that's, that, that's a big deal. Georgia Tech still has a major, uh, those of you who don't know it, Georgia Tech is, still has a major gender imbalance. Um, so not many women graduate from that program where she has served on numerous boards and is a 2017 graduate of Leadership Atlanta, the second best class ever. And her numerous awards and community leadership activities include, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because otherwise we're going to be here for too long, but I am going to highlight certain things that uh, I think you as a listener need to know um, uh, about her. And I, I don't want to highlight as well. Um, she was named the 2018 Greater North Fulton Chamber Businesswoman of Excellence, she is, as I mentioned, a Leadership Atlanta class of 2017. I was a member of the class of 14. Um, and she's on the Leadership Atlanta Committee for the group's first women's forum and moderator of the panel discussion, Critical Issues Facing Women Breadwinners 2017 and 2018. Uh, she and I were both 
uh, on the Atlanta Business Chronicle top 40 under 40 2009. I'm not going to out uh, I'm not going to out Meredith, but I can tell you for me, I made that under the wire in terms of eligibility. She is on the board of directors or was on the board of directors for Kate's Club from 2012 to 2014. She's a multiple year Atlanta five-star wealth manager. She does a ton of men- mentoring and 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 also uh, has been guiding families and patients around the world that have been diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is based on her personal experience with the disease. And for those of you who aren't in the know, that is the same uh, form of cancer that uh, took Senator uh, Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts uh, about a decade ago. Um, as someone who's not only beaten cancer but kicked its ass, Meredith finally believes—sorry, fir- firmly believes—that perseverance and a methodical approach allow individuals to achieve any goal. In addition to her client service and community leadership, Meredith is a widely respected writer who brings a unique perspective to every topic. Her fresh approach and insightful observations combine with 20 years of professional experience to make her a compelling and sought-after speaker. Um, And I can tell you she's sought after because I sought after her and she's here today. She's a personal growth junkie, fitness enthusiast, and self-confessed foodie who enjoys finding unique restaurants around Atlanta. A lifelong resident of Georgia, she lives in Roswell with her family, who definitely appreciate Meredith's energy and drive, but are less enamored with her practice of seizing the day by about 5 a.m. each morning. And I'm with your family. If I do that, I'm a disaster. Meredith, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. It's it's good to be here. And again, it's like the band's back together. So um, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on this program. I've been trying to find... It's really too long. We're coming up on two years of the program, incredibly, and I've been trying to find kind of just the right topic to bring you to bring you in on. Uh, I, I know people who do what you do really can't, can't come on the media to talk about investing because um, um, people from the SEC will just burst down your door and take your microphone away. So you can't do that. But, you know, and I, I think it's worth saying for the listeners that Meredith has been an informal mentor of mine. I don't think I don't even think she realizes that she's been a mentor of mine. Most people, most people don't. Um, but, you know, the way that you've you've grown a business and what I've what I've gone on record many times saying, I think your business is one of the toughest out there. I think it is the toughest in in finance. Um uh, for for a lot of reasons, uh, because uh, not least of which because it requires it requires such a breadth of skill set in order to do well. You cannot just be a great advisor; you have to be so many things to do well at it. And so um, you offer sort of the smorgasbord of uh, of expertise. And one thing we were talking about not long ago was talking about hiring consultants, and that was sort of the that was sort of the light that went off in my head. So, ah, okay, this is, I know that we can have a really good conversation about this. So can you think back to when was the first time that you hired a consultant? Yeah, actually um, I can. So, you know, I, let me start by saying that I am a firm believer in hiring the very best consultants that you can afford. Now that is a subjective statement. So in the spirit of a true Georgia Tech grad, and by the way, in terms of your earlier comments with sort of gender balance there, it's gotten a little bit better, but we used to say in the 90s, like where the odds are good, but the goods are odd. Um, so, but I will tell you, so my my first um consultant was a business coach. And I've tried to systematically since then literally take bottom line and make sure that I am spending 10 to 15% of my bottom line every year on the very best consultants that those dollars can buy. Because I know I can get return on investment off human capital. And um, if I have an initiative that I'm working on, you know, you do your due diligence. I know my budget. I research everything about it. And then I know the best questions to, to ask. But my first um, consultant was a business coach that had worked in nothing but advisory. And, and looking back, it was not, he was not the right fit for me for, a lot of reasons and we can go there too, but um, I'll just start by saying it was a business coach. So 
this is going to be a record. We're going to go off the script after after question one. one question. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we had an inkling that might happen, but but fifteen percent that is that that's a fascinating number. And so as your as your company has grown, you've mm-hmm. sustained that fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. And every year. I seek on where I need to spend it. And by the way, I learned that from Darren Hardy. So Darren Hardy, as you may remember, um, was the publisher of Success Magazine. Um, And he's one of my mentors. I've never met him. Um, Like one of my big goals, I have a revenue number I'm trying to hit. And it's my reward to myself. When I hit that number, I'm going to his high performance forum. Um, so I'm a complete uh, fangirl and I listen to his Darren Daly every morning as part of my morning success ritual. Um, and he's talked about that for years and I followed it. And my current business coach also follows that. And so I'm very intentional about making sure I call it my PD, my personal development budget, making sure that I spend that. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that I, I have a, I have a similar fanboy, um, really fixation on Simon Sinek and uh, I'm, I'm hoping someday he'll pick up this podcast and then pick up the phone and call me and want to come on. But maybe I should make that as my goal. I'm, I'm sure he does some sorts of, some sort of, of seminar or something that, that I can pay an ungodly number amount of money and I can, I can actually get in on that. That'd be a, that'd be a good goal. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind saying my obsession with him is, is bordering on the uncomfortable. Um, so I, I, I totally get it, but that, that virtual mentoring can be very, that virtual mentoring can be very helpful. So, um, so that, that, that first time you decided that you wanted to hire a business coach, what was the process that, that led you to that? Um, so I had met, um, I was at what's an industry meeting for my base calling dollar round table. And there was a gentleman there, um, actually from Atlanta, which was rare because million dollar round table is, is held all over the country. And he talked about coaching, um, knew the issues, um, and it wasn't cheap. And, um, but I have always, one thing that I will say versus my peers, um, I've always understood the value in investing in my business and investing in myself. And I think a lot of people have a tougher time wrapping their head around that because they look at it as, hey, it's another expense and not really looking on the other side of the balance sheet Um or the cash flow statement as the case may be in terms of what income um, is this realistically going to generate for me. So you just said something that I I think, I I think is really smart. Um, And, and I, I don't think I ever would have thought of that in a million years is thinking about that. Is thinking about that, that balance sheet and, and the income statement and, and what I'm going to kind of repeat back to you what I think that I heard. And you tell me if I'm all wet, but, but the way you're looking at that investment is that this is an expenditure. So on your income statement, yeah, it shows this expenditure of, I'm just going to pick a number, $5,000. Might have been more, might have been less, doesn't matter. Um, but then as you do that, on your, you now have an asset on your balance sheet of $5,000 that you know, may wind up turning out more, right? And that, that, then, that then translates down into the equity part of the balance sheet. So you really haven't lost anything. What you have done is you've converted cash into, into something else. And like any asset in theory that, you know, other than cash, the asset should become worth more than whatever the the value is on the balance sheet itself. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, no, that's, that's correct because I'm, I'm buying access to knowledge that I did not have. I'm buying access to best practices. I'm buying access to subject matter experts that are solely there without my own behavior uh, biases in order to either improve myself or improve an aspect of our business that we would not have thought of. So you, you, at the outset, you talked about the first consultant that you hired. Uh, it, it, it didn't work out. Um, 
everybody loves a good war story. So would you be willing to share with us? I mean, we don't need names, of, of course, sure. but yeah. you know, why, 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 or how did it not work out? First of all, um, you know, I think, well, first of all, I will say, um, admittedly, this was in my first marriage. Um, so the large ticket item at that point in my career, he had a harder time wrapping his head around that for the revenue that I was bringing in. So a lot of the philosophies that we just discussed, he didn't necessarily, um, you know, subscribe to them. And he perhaps didn't believe in, I don't know, my capabilities maybe as much as I did. And that's, and that's no knock to him. It, it was a fair assessment at that point in my career. Um, and so it, we, we had some sort of internal strife, if you will, around that. But in terms of the coach himself, I, I got some things out of it. I think stylistically, he didn't really fit. And again, this is not a knock to him professionally, but, and this would have worked for some people. He was a deeply spiritual person. And after every session, um, wanted to pray. And nothing wrong with that, but that, like, this, in my, my thoughts were this, this is a professional relationship. I'm really uncomfortable with that. And I just didn't think that it was the time or, or place to do it. And I think that impacted sort of my own biases yep. um, around that relationship. You know, that, that, that's really interesting that that was a, that's really interesting. It, it actually goes back to a, a two part podcast we did a couple of months ago on, should I mix my faith with my business? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a case where, at least in your case, that may have added to or detracted, I guess, better detracted from the the client provider relationship. But it, it sounds like they it, it sounds like that actually surprised you that they weren't necessarily that open about it. They sort of sprung it on you after you started initiated the formal relationship. Yeah. And um, again, he didn't do it certainly out of malice or anything like that. It's, it's a part of who he, um, who he was and who he is. Um, but that's not who I am. And I, it, I felt really uncomfortable with that. Um, and, you know, I don't, and it's been so long. I, so I don't, know how I brought that up. Um, the other thing is he kept wanting me to do personal introductions, not to potentially other clients, but to women for him to meet somebody. Really? And yeah. Yep. Man, that's weird. (laughs) Well, you know, I guess that's one way of prospecting. So, um, (laughs) I, it just, it felt really inappropriate then. Um, and, and looking back, of course, now, um, yeah, it's, it, it was, it was inappropriate. So, um, let, let me ask you this, you know, you, you yourself operate in a consultative capacity. I don't know if you would characterize yourself as a consultant per se, but certainly you're an advisor, which at, at least is a, you know, is related to consulting has being an advisor and growing yourself as a more effective advisor informed how you retain and work with consultants along the way. Yeah, it has a little bit. And um, to your point, so I am planning first. So I would first and foremost identify as a consultant Um, unilaterally, and this is where my practice is so different than many of my peers. And I can say that because I'm in multiple masterminds with dozens of other advisors. Um, Almost every one of our clients pay us a consulting fee first, because I believe that fundamentally everything starts with the plan and any implementation, whether regardless of product or whatever is simply a byproduct of that. So, um, you know, that's a differentiator, but it also has to do with my um, identity as a, as a consultant. Um, and that certainly has informed me because I think that methodology 
being sort of not usual in my space has allowed me to ask perhaps better questions to other consultants as we've gone on, you know, searches for very specific subject matter experts. Um, I would imagine too, that, that, you know, to some extent it would, it ought to be some kind of, a virtuous cycle because with all these mastermind groups, because of, of your embracing, uh, engaging with consultants as part of your business and your development model, that it must also then give you more access to a wider range, a wider array, if you will, of consultants that gives you a better chance to find exactly the right fit. Exactly. And you get when you're part of mastermind groups, especially with people in your own space, um, you you create scale because other people are using similar vendors and we're or all across in my mastermind group, we're across the country. And one of the mastermind groups I'm in, it's my business coach. And then he has hand selected top advisors all over the country and because of his expertise with coaching, you know, some of the country's top advisors, he's created relationships with these vendors that in turn give us discounts. And then he's able to tell with all the clients and those of us in the mastermind groups like experiences. So um, you can't be a part of that network if, if you've you know performed poorly for an advisor. I mean, Word's going to get out. And, and again, you know, seeing what other people have experienced and knowing their professional and personal world, it's enabled me to be able to ask uh, better questions. So let's, let's put ourselves, maybe put ourselves back in in your seat back when you, you hired that first consultant um, you know, assume that a listener out there has never hired a consultant before. I'm sure there's at least one and they have, you know, they're, they're now listening intently saying, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is something I want to do. What, what is your process now for identifying and retaining a great consultant? So I, I think first you, it's a little bit, it's very similar as you mentioned earlier to hiring an employee. I think first you have to define a very specific job description. You know, what is scope? What is functionality? And it starts there. Um, next, I think you need to come up with a strong meeting rhythm or meeting cadence um, in which you do check-ins or in which you need certain deliverables. And the more that you can sort of formulaically develop that prior to going on your search, I think that helps manage expectations. Um, I'm a massive believer in planning, not just with what I do professionally, but as a business. So in fact, next week, my whole team, we're going up to Blue Ridge, Georgia to do 2021 business planning for the entire week. Um, and But it's the same thing when you hire a consultant. You know, figure out job description, very clear scope, very clear meeting cadence. And and then once you have that, now I think you start talking to people that you know and trust um, that have similar situations to you in terms of who they may have hired and why they hired them. And maybe ask more questions again around you know, how their engagement around back to scope and how often they met and what worked and what didn't, um, you know, that's what I think is, is kind of the next step there. Um, and only then do you have the conversation with the candidates. Um, and I wouldn't have the conversations with the candidates based on price yet. I'd only have it based upon their experience um, and sort of best in class. And, and then you can figure out price points and, and by figuring out the price points now and talking with these consultants, then I feel like you're in a better place, um, in the spirit of this podcast to make a better decision. 
So I, I want to talk about pricing because I, I think that's mm-hmm. I think that again that's an, that's another great point because there's a real there are a lot of layers to this. So you know you said at the at the outset of our conversation that your goal is to hire the very best consultants and let's maybe broader more broadly talent that you can possibly afford. And, you know, affordability means different things to different people and also at different times. And so as you talk about, as you talk about pricing, Mike, it's a long preamble to the question being this, which is, are are there times where maybe what you'll do because you want to, you are so committed to having the best and the brightest that you can afford, maybe you narrow down their scope to get to affordability rather than compromise on talent to get to get all the scope that you want. Does that make any sense to you? And if so, yeah, how do you react no, to that? No, I think, right. No, I would rather, no, you're absolutely right. So I would rather have, instead of band-aid lesser talent, I would rather reduce scope and in-house take on the additional scope to make up the difference. Um, because I come back to human capital um, is one of the best assets that you can have as part of your business. And, and a lot of people, I, I think, try to change on that. Um, I know I certainly did for years in my practice, and I paid dearly for it, but in other ways. Um, so in answer to your question, yes, I would reduce scope and over-index on the, um, the, the person side of it because I'd rather start somewhere with them where they could understand my business. And as the revenue scaled up, we could scale up the scope over time to go with that. Now, um, have you ever worked with a consultant where there was there's a pay per performance kind of regime so that you could connect the economics with the pricing? Have you ever done anything like that? I sure have. In fact, with my current business coach, I was on a uh, I was on a performance model with him. Um, and he had run that model before with advisors, had discontinued it. And then had reinstated it with like three or four clients. And I was one of them. And it was solely, we came up with like a benchmark, which were based on sort of baseline revenues prior. And then he got paid a percentage of growth over that. And it worked. uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please. I mean, I want to hear from you, not me. Yeah. So um, in the beginning, you know, as you can imagine, it's a win for me because I'm not having to pay him anything um, until I until I grew. And then when you grow, that fee gets it's exponential and it can get out of control very quickly. Um, I have a great relationship with him. um, And obviously, I'm still part of his mastermind group, still we still do coaching together, but at some point he said, look, this is going to hurt your business with where like the fee was, was getting to be high, high 10 figures, not yep. 10. Yeah, I wish it was 10 figures. I'm sorry. One, two, <laughs> um, high five figures. And he's like, this is going to kill your business. So we're going to pause this and revert back to a flat fee and then you can pay this to me over time. And, and so I think in theory it works. And I don't want to speak for him or anybody else working on performance like that. I think it works briefly until it doesn't. And it can have a very negative impact had he wanted to fully honor that. Um, but, you know... I'm just not sure that that would work, but that's the only time that I've done a performance driven relationship at any point with a consultant. You know, what, what, um, what strikes me about that model is the amount of trust that's required between consultant and client, because the, the consultant has to trust that you are going to basically do what they say. Um, right. If, if, if you're completely on contingency, if I'm completely on contingency as a, as a consultant, but you as a client don't take the advice or you do, you execute it badly, right? Whatever. 
it, it fails to generate results, but really not through my fault as the advisor, right? That's a tremendous risk that I'm taking and one that I can't, I really can't manage beyond simply selecting the right person with whom to partner. And then on your side, um, on the client's side, the trust has to be, there's a lot of trust has to be placed that in fact, if you wind up becoming successful, you generate that financial success that you actually can in fact directly attribute it to the advice and support that consultant was providing as opposed to frankly, just dumb luck. Um, and so it really does, it requires an, um, an immense amount of trust. And I, I suspect, in fact, I more than suspect it, it showed itself through how that, that fee issue resolved because that consultant realized that, that they were going to get rich and make you poor. And they chose to not allow that to happen, which obviously speaks well of the integrity of that consultant. Yeah. And that's, and that's absolutely right. And um, I think going in, like I had to understand Look, I'm in the the business of understanding people at a very deep level. And for me to do business with somebody, consultants included, I have, especially with that, when they're going to get to know me at at a deep level, I have to be able to trust them. And I'm very, trust does not come easily for me, but once I do, I'm all in. And, um, so, but the coachability piece, you're right, is absolutely critical. And if we're drawing parallels, not just to consultants that I've hired, but people that hire me, that's one of the things I talk about quite a bit, Mike. I'm like, look, um, you know, they pay me a flat fee. And, you know, I'm like, look, I, we can do this. But I, in some ways, very deliberately and from a psychology standpoint, I'm like, you have to be coachable. If you're not coachable, you know, please do not waste your money. But I want you, and that isn't to say, and I make this clear, that this is a dictatorial relationship. I want you to be able to push back and feel comfortable pushing back. But if you're not coachable and you have bright, shiny object syndrome, which a lot of entrepreneurs do, Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to be a fit for you. But if I can manage the expectation of the relationship at the front end with that, um, I've essentially created an interesting power dynamic to where there's clarity around who's driving the bus, but the other person still has a big say-so in which way we turn. So I want to move on from, from selecting the consultant to the actual process of working of, of working with one. Um, and I'd like to get your perspective on, cause I, I, I think you have a lot to say on this. What does it take to get started with a consultant or, or in other words, it's, you know, when, when you sign the engagement and you get started, what kind of ramp up time lead time is there for you to actually start extracting value versus you having to, 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 provide sort of the raw materials, if you will, that is needed for the consultant to, to, to build something that is useful to you. Um, And again, to, I always think of that too, in terms of my professional process, I always think of it as the intake, we give significant homework um, for somebody to get for, uh, for us. But I, I guess, because that's my world, um, that I view it similarly. So um, I think it takes time to get all the necessary items that they need. But sometimes I think it's important to give stuff a good runway um, in terms of that person getting to know your business. And that runway can differ depending on back to what their scope is. So I have two... Um, virtual assistants. Uh, one is in Brooklyn and um, one is here in Georgia up in Gainesville. And they do two completely different things. And, you know, it, it with both of them, it took several months, but everything is dynamic with what I'm um, assigning to them. So what's been really critical, it's no different than running teams, 
um, virtual, especially now virtual teams is what's your meeting cadence? Like how, how is stuff constantly changing? And I, that meeting cadence is, is critical in any relationship and, and whatever your internal team is and what it is with a consultant, but how, what are those check-ins need to be? And then based upon that, um, you know, my hope is, especially in the beginning, they're tighter together so that they can get to know your business more quickly. And then as they they start to really understand things, maybe you can space them out a little bit more. Now, so moving beyond that, then there's also just the ongoing relationship. And the next question brings to mind advice I got uh, with my first uh, my my, first, my second full time job out of school, which was um, never let a consultant wish your problems away, and what he meant by that was talking about the time and effort that you need to manage a consultant. In other words, I, I think I've where I've seen the most where I've seen most consulting relationships go awry is somebody thinks that you've hired somebody thinks when they've hired a consultant, therefore the problem has been solved, and. Um, it doesn't quite work that way, is it? I mean, you do have to you do have to pay attention and actively be engaged in in and in, in, in managing that relationship, don't you? Yeah. In fact, is I'm laughing because one of the things my coach um, said to me about two years ago, he said, "You can't consult your way out of this problem." So okay, I like that. Um, so what he was trying to say was that I a lot of it was a mindset issue on my part. And just because I have the best subject matter expert on something, um, I really, you know, there's sometimes we don't like to think too woo-woo on stuff, but, you know, if I couldn't envision that certain kinds of clients would do business with me, it doesn't matter how much great advice I got. And, um, and again, because I do hire a lot of consultants and a lot of people know that in my space, but I had to do the work from a, from a vision and a confidence standpoint to be able to think things were possible. And I'm the kind of person, I guess, being a true Georgia Tech grad, if I can't see something, like I have a hard time committing to it. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say, well, I'm going to do 10 X my revenue in three years. Okay. Well, that's great, but how, and, and that's what he was talking about was I needed to see myself doing this specific goal, but I couldn't get there until I could figure out the how. Yeah. That reminds me of, uh, there's a South Park, South Park episode. I haven't watched the show in ages, but. Um, there's a South Park episode called the underpants gnomes and their business plan. Somebody yeah. asked like the gnomes, like, well, why are you doing this? Said profit. Well, well, how? And they, they put up this little, this little, um, uh, easel that said step one, collect underpants, step three profit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I said, well, well, what, what's, what's step two. Right. And, and it just, you know, went into this, into this, this feedback loop. And and you're right. It's it, you know the the how the how is so important. Um, it, it it's amazing how often the how gets overlooked, isn't it? It is, and I'm laughing because having a high school sophomore, I've seen that episode multiple times. So <laughs> I, I I share your um, humor on that. We've gotten a good laugh in this house on that episode. Yeah, my wife and I, who's a has their own business in her own right. We talk about that episode a lot because it, it, it does sort of make you think about, about these things. Um, so have, you're probably aware there are IRS rules that, that ensure that a consultant is actually a consultant and not a backdoor employee. Has that ever come up? Is that ever something that's had to be on your radar screen or have you managed to stay very clear of that? Um, it's on my radar screen. Um, and again, you know, doing quite a bit of a big part of our practice while we don't do tax returns or give quote unquote, like the obligatory, you know, sort of statement as tax advice, accounting is a big lens in which we make, um, recommendations. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm very familiar with having the specific definitions around what is a contractor and what is an employee. Um, but for the most part, um, the role that consultants have played in my business really has been exactly that. Um, and while they might still be around, they don't have anything to do with the advisory side. And I've kept it really clean in that everybody in-house does nothing but financial advisory. But having a lot of these other sort of consultants out there, you know, fractional CFOs, marketing stuff, on and on and on and on, coaches, um, it's pretty cleanly, you know, they wouldn't understand a 12B1 fee, you know, if if it hit them upside the head. So, that's how I've been able to sort of bifurcate um, this, these other tranches of folks that are involved in the business, um, but more peripherally as a consultant. So you said something a minute ago that I, I didn't think quickly enough, but I, I want to, I do want to come back to it. Cause I think that's, I think it's a really important quote or important idea that you can't, there's some consult, there's some problems you cannot consult your way out of. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what what's an example what's an example of that where 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 have you found that there's had to be a line where you you can't consult your way out of that problem there's just work that you have to do on your own or you may have to hire somebody whose full-time job is going to be to solve that problem so let's give the the context in which it was said so again i was and 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 really to some degree I'm at capacity right now. And in terms of growing, it became, I couldn't figure out how to do it. And, and that was coach Joe's comment to me at a mastermind group in front of my, my peers. Um, and he said that lovingly and, and everybody else in my group, we all care about each other. Um, for me, the way I needed to do it was to figure out the how was so so how how do I do this and because I again I, I couldn't see like how to get to that next um, revenue layer of growth and and so actually I did it's like you kind of it's like being stuck in the woods like you're stuck out there by yourself and you gotta just test and try different things Ironically, ultimately, I, I did hire another consultant. Um, I work closely with um, Dory Clark up in New York. She's written a some of the, the biggest business books that are out there now. Um, and I, I, I spend um, six to seven thousand dollars every year to spend like three hours with her. And um, she had given me some ideas. Now I had to go execute and figure out how to get it done. But one of the best ideas um, that I got in my career was from her and she knows nothing about advisory. Um, And because of her actually is why I host that. I host a luncheon series, Mike, that you may be familiar with called uh, interesting women leaders in the ATL. And, And that did not come from an advisory coach that came from, from Dory Clark up, in New York, who's written a number of bestsellers, um, and and knowing what I was was trying to do, but it wasn't until that idea and when I started executing could I finally see the how and how that component with what it was doing with my network could be the thing that could allow me growth. So. I know for me, it comes back to what we keep talking about. It's the how. Once I can have the mindset. I can read my quarterly game plan every morning, which is what I do, by the way, at 5 a.m. I know who I am, where I'm trying to go, but it's figuring out those things. And so I, I bounced around in the woods, eventually hired Dory, went to a few of her masterminds, and then ultimately started spending half days, got the ideas when I started implementing now I'm like, I can see it. This can actually work. I can actually elevate. I can actually, you know, figure out now how to scale. So for me, I needed to bounce around for a while. There's a really interesting concept there that I'm going to, I want to kind of stay there a beat with. And that is that 
in effect, you ran into a limitation with one consultant. You thought, you know, clearly you thought the message or the advice you were being given was good, right? But there was a limitation in terms of, of their ability to support you with the how. Now, I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they run into that, I think they become frustrated and they are tempted to think that the consulting model itself then is fundamentally broken and consultants are just shysters and you sort of spiral. And I'm sure you know where that, that internal monologue is going. But what you did, what you did was a very high class decision. You said, okay, so this individual got me to this point. Now there's this new point that I've got to get to. That person can't get me there, but that doesn't mean there's not somebody else that can't sort of pick up the baton and, and, you know, help me finish the race. Right. And actually coach Joe, I mean, he still coaches me and he's the one who made that comment, but didn't, but hadn't, he had suggestions on the how, but none of them really worked. Um, but he still provides massive value in my business, but I needed to very quickly, like you said, understand that limitation. Um, and, and again, nobody in my mastermind had ever come up with this, um, but it's, you know, I think it's just staying attuned to, like, the, like you were saying in the beginning, there's so many hats that I wear, um, but by staying attuned in, in the personal development space, trying to read a lot um, and things like that, it allowed, it afforded me that mindset to go seek out somebody else around um, this part and Actually, it was Dory uh, Clark's book called Stand Out um, that brought me to, to her and to begin to work with her. We're talking with Meredith Moore of uh, Artists and Financial Strategies, and we're talking about um, uh, should I hire a consultant? Um, Meredith, we don't have a ton more time, and as, as I would have predicted, we've gotten through a fraction of the questions I had prepared, but that's the way it goes. But one, one question I want I, I do want to get to you, I want to do want to put in front of you is, um, can you become addicted to a consultant or can you become addicted to consultants? Um, can you become sort of over-reliant upon them? And, and I mean, do, does that, does that concept make any sense to you? Um, I, I guess, um, I, I think you have to come up with like, what's their function and at what point, like, how do you judge, I think you used the term, like, where they've outlived their usefulness. That sounds awful, but um, I, I think it's figuring out when has the sort of um, clock run out with what they can bring to you, because that's going to happen too. I mean, think of all the best athletes. Um, they ultimately, they don't keep the same coach for their entire careers many times. Um, and it's, it's understanding where that, that limit is. Um, I don't know that you can get addicted. I I think you create, my philosophy has been to create a very strong talent internal to the business and then to essentially where we have blind spots and what we can't staff to hire the best consultants to those areas. Okay. So. I think another question that that a lot of listeners are thinking about is, you know, consultants sometimes I think get a bad rap. Sometimes, like like almost everything in the world, sometimes deservedly, sometimes not. Um, but the bad rap is, you know, uh, consultants aren't truly accountable. They're hired guns. You can't. It's you, you can't fire them the same way that that you would an employee. You don't quote unquote. Uh, own them or their time. How do you, how do you keep your consultants and your advisors accountable for the value that they're supposed to provide you? I think they're very clear metrics. Um, Like in our team, we run a scorecard every week and we have to report to within the team, like where we are with our numbers. I'm accountable to all of my team, even though I'm the main uh, rainmaker and I'm, I'm the visionary where my COO is, is the implementer, but I'm very clear with the scorecard on all of us. We all have specific things we have to do. Um, and really consultants, it should be no different. 
if you don't define what the expectation is and figure out how to very clearly understand um, performance and results, I mean, it should be pretty, pretty clear, like somebody's either performing or they're not. And if they're not, why are they not? And then over time, you can make a judgment, um, you know, if, if this is something that it, that's a person issue, an individual issue, or is this a systemic issue of you don't have the right kind of consultant? Um, but I, I'm not one to give up, if you will, if the due diligence has been done properly and if the systems are in place to, to measure. Okay. So Meredith, we're, we're running out of time and uh, I've got to let you get back to, to helping your own clients do, do what they need to do. Um, I'm sure that our, our listeners may have questions about, about working with consultants and clearly you have a lot, a lot to say on the subject um, that's helpful. Can people reach out to you to learn more? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Sure, absolutely. So uh, my email is uh, mmore, M-O-O-R-E, at artisan, A-R-T-I-S-A-N-F-S, like financial strategies, online.com. And uh, our website is very similar, www.artisanfsonline.com. So those are going to be the best uh, places to reach out. Well, great. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Meredith Moore so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review of your, with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.